Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a specialist GP, and today I'm talking to Dr Juliet Rumble-Smith about mentoring in medicine. Juliet is a public health physician and epidemiologist. Her medical and research career has largely focused on equity, reflecting her belief that all people should receive the same opportunities for health and well-being, irrespective of wealth, ethnicity or gender. Juliet is passionate about supporting women in their personal and professional lives and about building bridges and connections that cross professional boundaries to create more supportive communities. Juliet founded Wahini Connect, a mentoring service, in 2017 and is the chair of Wahini Connect Trust Board. Welcome, Juliet. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Louise. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you here. So we're discussing mentoring. I wonder if we could just start with some definitions. What is a mentor and what is a mentor e? Sure. So um, probably the first thing to think about is what is mentoring is, um, and because it, uh, it's a word that gets used a lot, it sometimes it gets used for coaching, it gets used for supervision, it gets used in a kind of a professional management context. But really, mentoring is just simply where a person or people shares their knowledge and skills and experience to support somebody else. And that might be supporting in a personal field or in a professional capacity. So in that context, the mentor is the person who's offering their experiences to help and the mentee is the person who's kind of the recipient or the partner to that. So what are the benefits of having a mentor or mentoring? Mentoring is usually promoted by organisations and that's because uh, there is just so much evidence about how good it is for a business or a university or a hospital or any sort of workplace to have a good system of mentoring. And the reason is that it's really effective way to transmit culture. So transmitting culture both up, down and across. It's also, you know, a tangible way to improve the professional and workplace skills of your workforce. And it also makes people happier. So it makes people more productive. And that's really the fundamental thing is that mentoring is cost effective. It's a cost effective initiative for companies because they're more productive. People stay longer, they're happier at work, they um, have lower recruitment requirements, more retention, better, happier employees, essentially. So that's where it's come from. But there's a load of evidence that obviously mentoring is really good for mentees. um, And that's around both professional and career development and also satisfaction at work and also uh, sort of personal issues as well. And what people are less aware of is actually all those same benefits apply to mentors. So the person who is doing the mentoring, that's a career development intervention in itself. So it builds skills. You're more likely to get a promotion. You're more likely to go forward in your career. And you're more likely to feel good about the job that you're doing. It's protective against burnout. And philanthropy feels really good. There's lots of evidence about that. So it's a really important thing for someone to consider, not both as in, you know, I'm, I'm someone who needs help, but also I'm someone who would like to help and that's good for me too. Absolutely. 
There are a number of models that have been shown to be effective. I wonder if we can talk about these briefly and which model is the most effective? Sure. So lots of different types of mentoring out there, lots of buzzwords. So you'll hear about speed mentoring or peer mentoring. That's when you're a group of people, exactly like a peer support group. You know, So lots of these are really familiar to people in the medical profession. There's also reverse mentoring. That's super interesting. That's when it's a deliberate approach where a more senior person might be mentored by a more junior, less about necessarily about senior, but it might be around learning a specific skill set like technology or comms is a really key one, social media things. So that's more about content. I'm not entirely sure if all of those things are what I would call mentoring. So if mentoring is about sharing your lived experiences, then some of those things to me more sound like, you know, specific skills development, but they are um, terms that are used. I guess the key thing is that the type of mentoring that is best for you is directly defined by what you're looking for and why. So If what you're looking for is networking or to find your next job, then speed mentoring within a certain demographic or a certain group of people is probably going to be the best thing for you. If what you're looking for is to canvas opinion on, you know, a certain issue, then probably what you're going to do is something more along the lines of the informational interview or our jump program through Wahine Connect. And that's when you might have a short one-off mentoring session with a bunch of different people. But if what you're looking for is a a longer-term relationship where you might work through a bit more of a chunky problem, so I'm thinking like dealing with a complaint or bullying or some of the more difficult workplace relationship issues, then you're probably best off with a one-on-one traditional mentoring. And that's more like journey program through Wahine Connect. And that's usually what people think of when they talk about it. Excellent. So if someone's looking for a mentor, it's not always that easy to find someone. Have you got any tips or tricks for finding a mentor? Yeah, sure. So I guess the first thing is to think about exactly what you're looking for with regards to a mentor and why. So that's the biggest thing. And it's a piece of work. It's really difficult because often when people are looking for a mentor, it's because they might be feeling a bit overwhelmed or there might be a bunch of things going on and it's really hard to see clearly which one is the thing that um, that really they should look at. But my advice is to spend some time really articulating in medical terms your presenting complaint so if you really sit down and think about it about what your issue is then it's much easier to identify who the best sort of mentor is going to be for you and the best type of relationship my experience is that people who you know there's two types of mentoring relationships that I think that can be quite unsatisfying the the first is when someone is told they need a mentor so there's heaps of heaps of people, they like, oh, my, you know, my work says I need a mentor or my training program or whatever. And it's all very general. And, you know, my sense is that 
that is a particular sort of relationship which is not necessarily mentoring. It might be about supervision, might be about keeping you on track in your training program, but they tend to be confusing both for the mentee and the mentor because no one. sometimes people are often not quite clear on what they're there for. You know, they might meet and go, well, nothing's really bothering me. So that tends to be unsatisfying. And the other, I think, is when that sort of general um, I need support thing, that is also can be quite hard for both the mentee and their mentor because it takes a bit of time to unpick really what's on top. So your question was, how do you go about finding the mentor? So I think the first thing is to, you know, dig it in and really kind of focus on uh, what what the issues are and what the priority for those are. Then think about who. And I guess the main piece of advice here is to kind of understand that you're not going to have one mentor that's going to be able to support you on your whole list. That usually people will have loads of mentors during their during their life. And you know, at one point it's going to be, how do I find a place to pump at work? And another point, it's going to be, you know, that boss is really making my life difficult. And what does that look like? And at another time, it'll be, you know, I'm really wanting to move into a leadership position. So you'll have lots of mentors come in and out. Um, the, the key is to be open-minded about who your mentor can be. And, you know, there, we've got a lot of preconceived ideas about who makes a good mentor. Lots of people would like, you know, have got someone that they've got their eye on. That's all good if it's someone that you've got a connection with and you've scoped that out. But it's often someone that we admire, you know, um, a real flash person in the sector. And it may be that, you know, there is somebody else who is more suitable. So, Juliet, in this world that we're living in currently, um, everything's gone to digital. So I wonder, as far as the relationship between a mentor and a mentee, typically we would meet face-to-face, had a discussion and moved away. What do you think about a digital or geographically disconnected relationship over a long distance? Is there any evidence that that is good or bad or more beneficial or less beneficial? What do you think? I'm not sure on the evidence, Louise, but I guess what I think is that that's just reality. <laughs> and um, some people are really clear when they register for Wahine Connect, um, both mentors and mentees, that they want to meet face-to-face. And we certainly try and accommodate that. I guess what I would say is that the match is the most important thing because even when we have tried to accommodate people having that relationship within the same city, it can often also be really difficult to meet face-to-face. And they tend to be the relationships that I hear about where they've struggled the most, you know, and it's because of that expectation is there. Whereas if, if someone's driving from one side of Auckland to the other side to meet up and there's traffic, then uh, it can feel more stressful and actually more disjointed than if they just said, let's do it by Zoom. That's the first thing is logistics are important. The second thing is from, you know, from an equity perspective, that some of the people who 
need access to mentoring the most who are you know feeling isolated both geographically and professionally are in places where they don't have ready access to a mentor and so virtual's really important as um as an enabler in that sort of situation and i think the final point i would make is that i think that the quality of the match overrides all of this so fundamentally what people want is the best fit for their issue and that comes from obviously from the mentee perspective but also the mentor the mentors want to help and they want to have the right experiences to bring to that person and it just doesn't feel good if um if you're not if you're not feeling like you're meeting their needs and so I think really the virtual is just how some you know some people are going to have to do it so for Wahine Connect uh COVID was actually really helpful because it was almost like flooding (laughs) it was like a crash course for everybody and you know getting up to speed with using Zoom we used to kind of be trying to sort of support it you know in an encouraging way and all of a sudden this was just how the expectation this was how you know GPs were delivering a lot of their care this was how meetings were happening. This is how mentoring was happening. So I guess that's what I would um, say to that one. It's 2021. I, le- I worked in a, in a workplace where people from one end of the building used to dial in to a meeting with somebody from the other end of the building. And that was just how it was done. So it's just really about practice, I think. I wonder about boundaries and mentoring. Sometimes you'll have um, a same-sex mentor, but sometimes you'll be cross-gender. Do we have to be careful about boundaries? That's really interesting because I think we have to be careful about boundaries full stop. (laughs) So that's about the expectations of the mentoring relationship. So in Wahine Connect, we have a contract that we encourage people uh, to use as the basis of a conversation. So how often are we going to meet? How are we going to connect? Can I text you? Um, What does success look like? What's the expectations on the mentoring relationship long-term? You know, do we both agree around privacy, things like that? So we, we encourage the mentor and the mentee to talk that through and to sign it and to use that as the basis of kind of their agreement. So I think that's critical because one of the biggest things is people not really understanding what's expected of them. And that also forms the basis of um, the expectations on the mentee to drive the relationship, to do the work, to make the appointments, to follow up, to send the emails. So, you know, the mentors are volunteers. So that's the mentee's job. And, And it just makes it really clear from the beginning. So there's less kind of uncertainty or disappointment later on. So that's about boundaries. The same sex thing is really interesting because there's a lot of evidence that women have greater greater difficulty accessing mentors. So that's kind of statement one. And then if you you put an intersectionality uh, lens on that um, and you think about ethnicity or if you think about people who experience a disability or any other of those obvious barriers that you can think of then you think well that must be sort of a tenfold difficulty accessing mentors and then you think well then there's the safety concerns and that's really clear 
However, you know, the worst possible outcome would be then if a bloke stepped back and went, well, I'm not mentoring any women. Because then that's a really huge burden on the existing female workforce. And also that's not solving the problem. (laughs) The problem is that that people should be clear about their boundaries and should be able to have safe professional working relationships. So those are kind of my two founding principles. And then I would say that there are just... um, there are just issues that it, it might be that a female mentor is more equipped to answer for a given mentee. And, you know, I think that could be the same for um, a Māori mentor, for a Māori mentee, or Pacifica, or someone new to New Zealand, or someone who's experienced grief, or someone who has had to get used to delivering clinical care and not their first language, for example. So I just think that um, that sort of compatibility and the ability to respond to a, to a mentee-specific issue might be that there's a certain demographic that's best off. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. So we're just going to talk about women in mentoring for a moment and then move on to talk about Wahine Connect a little bit more. So... Um, we were talking about an article where university and academic healthcare institutions, women are uh, underrepresented. So the role of mentoring has been identified as one of the factors why women don't progress in these organisations. So what can we do about this? How can we, how can we get on top of it? I really struggle with this one, Louise, because... Um... You know, so mentoring is often used as an intervention to address equity issues. And um, is it an intervention if it's just simply there for one group and not than another? So if, if there are much fewer women in positions of seniority and decision-making, et cetera, et cetera, then, um, then ergo it is more difficult for the women coming through to have access to that type of mentoring and, you know, reflecting your statements before around safety. I think that does come into it about who you might choose to be your mentor. So is that an equity intervention or is it just that that's been substandard (laughs) because it hasn't been available or hasn't been thought through? So, you know, I would kind of go, no, you know, a mentoring program that's not a lever for equity. But then I think, uh, you know, it took me till I was, what, 38 to have a, to have a female boss. And, um, and I, you know, I recently pulled out one of my mother's old um, sets of letters. She sent it to me. And she got offered this, um, I think it was a postdoc or some sort of fellowship to an American university. And she got accepted and mum and dad were all set to sail off on a ship because that's how they did it in those days. And I don't know how it happened, but they found out she was pregnant and wrote and said, we're taking it back. And I look at that set of letters, you know, and, you know, mum obviously wrote back and went, well, gave a whole bunch of reasons and et cetera, et cetera. My mother's coming. They wrote back and went, well, we don't think you'll be able to support your mother on your pitiful salary. She wrote back and went, that's really not for you to worry about, but 
here are some kind of intimate financial details. And by the way, I've booked the boat anyway. So, you know, the point of that story is that there are just fundamental biases and experiences that women have. I'm not saying women are the only ones who experience these barriers, but the stats bear it out. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been called Missy at work. So, yes, mentoring is a lever for equity, absolutely, because those inequities are unjust and they're unfair and they do require a targeted response. That's a very long answer <laughs> to your no, question. That's perfect, perfect. Yeah. Thank you. So Wahini Connect, this is your baby. Tell us a little bit about it. It's a New Zealand-based mentoring service that you founded. What did you identify? Obviously, we've talked about some of these things already, but what was the impetus for you for starting this initiative? So basically, I was overseas um, working in estates and a think tank. This was the place that I had this first female boss. At the time, she said, hey, I'm going to this amazing meeting. I know that, you know, you're, you're, we could pay for your flight. I know there's limited funds, but, you know, you could stay in my hotel room to, you know, to help cover the costs. And I was just completely floored. I was like, oh, my, oh my God, has this, has this been available to everybody else all along? And I just was, you know, are there, are there all these blokes out there who've been bunking down in their consultants' hotel rooms to go to the flash conferences and I've just never known about it? And I thought, well, that's really weird. And then I thought through, you know, we've now got 60% of graduates who are women, but why are there only two chief medical officers that are women and why have we never had a national female chief medical officer? And I was like, hmm, you know, food for thought. And then the um, New Zealand Women in Medicine Facebook page was set up. And that's just like, um, you know, created this community. So we've got now 5,000 members. And so I posted this comment saying, I've been thinking about this mentor, a mentoring network for women. And I don't know if you've ever worked in the States, Louise, or this was in California, but there is something about that environment which makes you feel like you are very capable. <laughs> And that you can, um, you know, you can come up with these ideas and do them. And, you know, by the time I got back to New Zealand, my confidence had been whittled down a lot. But at the time, I felt like anything was achievable. So mm. I put this comment up on the Facebook page. And I think I, I, think I got about 70 comments, uh, 70 messages within about a day, day and a half. And they were from women who were just feeling really overwhelmed. Um, isolated, um, you know, lot, lots of the family balance stuff. Also those going, you know, I want to work, move into a leadership position and I just can't seem to seem to crack it. And, but also just this, you know, huge, massive bunch of women going, oh, man, I've so been through that, been through the haze. I really want to help. I really want to give back. And so I just kind of thought I'm just, I'm just going to give it a go. <laughs> so I thought I'll do a pilot, classic pilot, and then assess whether it's successful. So I did that, and I think we I matched up 56 women for this very basic program that I just kind of put together. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, it's, it's successful. Now what do I do? And uh, so since then, it's been a real journey of um, 
been super lucky to have the support of Medical Assurance Society since the very beginning. I think I went up to Martin Stokes at a cocktail party, an ASMS cocktail party, and said, you don't know me, but you really need to get behind this one. And, you know, he just went, yep, I do. And so um, they have, you know, been there for the get-go, so supported at the establishment base and then, you know, every year after. since. So it's now a bit of a machine. We've got a matching group, we've got a governance board, we've got two, three part-time contractors who kind of help run the business side of it. And what we do is provide a service where women can register with us, so looking for support. And then we've got a database of around just under 500 women mentors, so all of whom have a connection to the health sector. And then we match them up and we support them through one of two structured mentoring programs. So tell us about the programs. Cool. So there's two. One's called Jump, one's called Journey. So Jump is when we match someone with three different mentors for a one-off, one-hour conversation. It's really good. (laughs) And um, I think probably more than half of our mentees start off with a jump. What that is good for if people are going, they're just wanting to canvas an option. So I'm thinking of leaving clinical medicine, what's out there? That's a really common one. Um, I think one of the first ones that I can remember was, you know, I'm just about to qualify as an anaesthetist and I've suddenly become really worried that I'm going to find it boring. That, that one's come up a few times. Um, and in that situation, I was we were able to match her with an anaesthetist uh, who was doing a research fellowship, one who was working in a clinical subspecialty and another one who was, I think, doing some policy work or some other, um, you know, some other um, area that she, that she probably hadn't thought of. So really get, getting a whole um, horizon. The second program that we run is called Journey. So that's really the traditional one. So it's one mentee, one mentor, and they meet once a month for around six months. And we provide all the resources. We email, text, make sure that the people are connecting up Um so, you know, check to see if there's any problems, evaluation at the end. And that, so that's for a period of about six months, but everybody just does what suits them. So, but it's usually around that. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, I've, as you know, I've um, been involved while doing the jump um, with a, as a mentor and I found it really useful myself um, and will sign up actually as a mentee. <laughs> Um, but it gave me great satisfaction knowing that I was able to share some knowledge and also gave me a bit of boost and confidence thinking that, hey, I've been doing this for a long time and I do have a lot to offer. And a lot of it was very simple things that perhaps you take for granted because you've been doing your job for so long. And, um, and it did. It, it, was, it was great, I think, um, for both of the parties. So it was lovely to be involved. Oh, that's really great to hear. I ran into someone at a at, at the cafe a couple of days ago who signed up to be a mentee. And I was like, oh, you should really sign up to be a mentor as well. And she went, oh, I haven't, I haven't done anything. And I went, well, but haven't you moved from a clinical specialty to now this is what your second government position? And I think, haven't you also done a master's? I feel like you've had to negotiate actually quite a few changes, quite a few 
different workplace environments. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could totally do that. That would actually be really fun. And um, it's just an interesting kind of, it's it's a mindset that people have. They think, oh, I can't be a mentor. And I think, well, you know, really, all you need to be a mentor is, you know, the level of expertise is seen it or lived it. Like that, that's literally it. And then the second part is simply being kind, enthusiastic and available. Yes. So, um, you know, every, most people can do that. And then the beauty of having the two programs is that the jump is a really great way, great way to support if you can't take on a long-term commitment like a journey mentee. And I don't know anyone who says no to having a coffee with a colleague. You know, it's actually a really nice way to connect and, you know, come out of your clinical day job and kind of look and see what's going around for other people and support in another way. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for your time today, Juliet. I wonder just to conclude our podcast, some take-home messages for our listeners, please. Let me think. I guess what I would say is, you know, my takeaway uh, reflects back on what I just said, is that anyone could be a mentor. And I would really encourage the people to think about it, not only in the kind of altruistic way, supporting others, but also that is it is directly and tangibly beneficial to yourself, both in terms of your own professional development, but also in terms of your co- whole kind of intra-work balance so all the things that make up you as a professional I think and your personal experiences so that's the first takeaway and the second one is a mentoring relationship is a formal well so it can be informal and kind of how it's conducted but you really do get out what you put in so I can't emphasize enough to mentees about the groundwork so that is, you know, what am I, is my issue and why am I seeking a mentor? And, you know, what would success be at the end of it? So that's really critical. And then the sort of adjunct to that is there's really only three steps, but you really got to do the work to get the benefit. And that is around preparation. So preparing for your um, sessions with your mentor. So you know, who am I talking to? What are we going to talk about today? You know, how am I going to organize it? How am I going to follow up? Then being really in it at the time. So you're jumping into it. You're really involved. And the third is, you know, sitting back and just enjoying the fact that um, that you're having this connection with someone and they're giving your time and being grateful and following up about it. So I think it's, it's not... It can be casual in format, but it's not. It shouldn't be casual and kind of investment, if that makes sense. You really uh, do get out more if you put in more. Great. Well, thank you for your time today, Juliet. It's been an absolute pleasure and enlightening, and it's great to be able to share this part of your passion with our listeners. So if you're New Zealand GP, you're able to claim some CPD points for listening to this podcast, please log them. And on our website, goodfellowunit.org, you'll find a list of resources used in this podcast, including a link to Wahini Connect. You'll also find some webinars, med cases and e-learning modules, which are free to access. Thanks for listening and joining us today.